Welcome to The Space Between the Notes, a bedroom disco podcast. I'm Sam Walsh, your host. I'm sure that most listeners will know all about who Jesse Ware is, but I'm going to do the quick intro for context regardless. Jesse Ware is an English singer-songwriter, pop extraordinaire. She's been all over the charts for the past decade or so with amazing, sophisticated R&B-inflected pop hits such as Wildest Moments, Tough Love, and Say You Love Me. While Jessie was one of the most consistently high-quality pop artists during that period, I really felt like I knew what to expect when a new Jessie Ware song dropped. That is, until I didn't. In June of 2020, she dropped one of the year's most ambitious records, named What's Your Pleasure?, and it was nothing like she'd ever released before. Jessie inhabits this kind of lycanthropic party girl character that delivers breathy, seductive lyrics over 70s Italo disco and funk, and it's so theatrical and sexy and over the top, and you just kind of enter into this fantasy she creates. It's amazing, and it puts her straight into the canon with the likes of Donna Summer and Diana Ross, and she's followed that record up this year with another record in the same vein called That Feels Good. And it doubles down on what made What's Your Pleasure so amazing. I talk about what prompted this transformation in our interview, among other things. I should also say that she's the host of the podcast Table Manners with her mother, Lenny. All right, let's dive in. Hi, Jesse. Welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm raring to go. And... Very grateful that I got to hear your new album in advance. That feels good. And it carries on stepping left from what you were known for doing throughout the 2010s um, up until What's Your Pleasure. You would normally think of beautiful, rich R&B vocals with sort of a quiet intimacy, like on your wildest moments or tough love. And what I love about your more recent sound is that you're kind of turning the tables a bit from this possibility of love and longing for something to like an embrace of like lust and sexiness and it's this is dance music now and i know you probably get asked this a lot but can you talk a little bit about what on the outside kind of looks like a marked transformation of your identity as an artist yeah, it's funny because it looks, I think it, it came from quite a desperate place where I was just quite, I was deeply unhappy. And I just thought I, music industry, doing music wasn't for me. I felt like I'd maybe run my course. I felt like people were kind of losing interest in me. I think I was kind of losing sight of myself and the place for me to feel like I should return to, which is probably where I, I, I left too quickly was dance. It was where I started my career. It was where I, I featured on dance records and, and it was kind of quickly gobbled up by a label, which was lovely and a huge compliment. And then they want to make you sell as many records as like Adele, which is always going to be impossible. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and I was kind of, you know, I was, I knew that I was approachable and quite normal and I wasn't the most left field, even though I had loads of references that were left field. So that was kind of like, okay, well, is this who I'm going to be? Okay. 
but I don't think I was ready. Hence why the, there was a kind of vulnerability and a quietness about my music. Um, and then there were like moments like say you love me, of course, and champagne kisses. And, um, but I was not, I think being kind of fully honest with myself or people with who I was. And then the podcast happened, which showed me warts and all with my mum, effing and blinding, making mistakes, being quite loud, maybe obnoxious, being nosy. And people really liked it. And I was like, oh, people seem to quite like me when I'm being my true self. And I think that kind of released me from these pressures of feeling like I needed to have mystique and I needed to be what people pin up as an artist. I mean, I'd always had like mad support by like blogs like Pitchfork who can annihilate people. Like they've always supported me and they saw something in me. And I think they saw and understood like the references that I was trying to get to, whether that was Sade or Prince or Cocteau Twins or I don't know. Loads of other things, but I just think I, the What's Your Pleasure was this kind of last chance saloon. It was me not trying to do it for anyone else, very much doing it for myself and the place that I felt the most comfortable, which was the club. And doing it in a kind of way of feeling like it still had like a beauty to it and a drama. And really like embracing all bits that I love from musical theater to soul, to dance music, to, I don't know, pop, it, all of it. And then, yeah, and then here we are now with That's Your, That Feels Good, which is kind of even more unashamedly upfront and confident. I don't think I would have been able to make this record 12 years ago, 10 years ago, because I didn't feel that way about myself. I don't know, I think I've, I've been lucky enough to gain wisdom and mistakes and an experience through being able to still make music and that's led me to this place where actually I feel very comfortable in myself as a woman in music as somebody that I feel like is making my best work that's showing more of myself and revealing more even if that isn't necessarily through the words it's through like the production, the vocal production, the choice of melodies, the choice of call and response, you know, all of those things. Um, and it feels really coherent to me. Yeah, I think you are making your best work. And I think a lot, a lot of the, the, um, the artists that you mentioned, the great artists that you mentioned, like Prince and Cocteau Twins, lots of great pop artists, even like Bowie and Beyonce, like those kind of stylistic changes often feel like a like a great artist wandering into interesting new territory and kind of experimenting and coming out with something unusual and they might stay there a bit before they try something new again but that's not what this feels like to me that's this feels like you're kind of revealing this hidden side of you that's always been there and you're like coming home to it and i say that because you sound so comfortable in this mode does that what is that what it feels like to you? Does it feel like an era or does it feel like something that you're going to do before you try something new again? Or do you not think about that? I feel like it's very much in the world. It's a different type of world, but it still relates to what's your pleasure. So does that make it an era? Maybe. Um, am I feeling the most comfortable I've ever felt making music? Yes. 
hopefully that will continue whether that will be another record like this i think no i'll have to go and try something different but hopefully the prominence of my voice and the decisions i make vocally or production wise will still feel like a jesse record even if it does feel like it's got a little different landscape um i think this was like just really throwing every musical love that i could into one pot and seeing how much i could get away with like i think one great development on that feels good is your kind of irreverent humorous side and perhaps the best example of that is and maybe my favorite song on the album is uh, shake the bottle um can you talk to me about that song and where it comes from for i mean first of all maybe remind listeners what's going on in the song i think by the time this comes out they will have heard it um but yeah what's going on <laughs> in uh, shake the bottle so Shake the Bottle was meant to be like the naughty cousin of my song, Ooh La La, which was on What's Your Pleasure. I knew I wanted something like that because Ooh La La had been such a big kind of hit on the stage. Like people loved it. And they were like egging me on to be like, to put my fingers around the mic stand. Like they wanted me to basically be wanking off the mic stand, which I pretty much was, um, politely. Um, so I was like, right, how do I do that? not again, it wasn't about trying to do it again, but it was like, how do I have something that can complement that on stage? Because I'm constantly thinking about how it's going to work live. And Shake the Bottle, we had this kind of like, it was almost like a 60s, like, I don't know. And, uh, and that immediately made me go to B-52s, like Rock Lobster, even though it's a different kind of time zone, but like the Titan signature, but like um, just that kind of, slightly frenetic really character driven pop popular music that's kind of mad and brilliant and confident so that was that and then we had the pre like i don't need to work on my finger we had that and we got the chorus later but the verses are really what people are going to remember. I mean, the, all of it's good, I think. But um, the verses are listing different, well, you could say they were conquests um, by the, the, the singer, who is me, but I have not slept with any of these people. I can confirm. Maybe I've slept or dined out with people like these people, but these are not real people. They are creations of the mind and other people's experiences of dating and uh how painful and kind of brilliant that can be um so it was kind of like it was like past conquests but uh but not really they were all failed um and it's really about kind of being like don't think about it too much but these are the people uh, so it's like jimmy lies jimmy cries jimmy's just like other guys and then you've got these like backing singers that are like that's right and that's going to be the audience in the in the gig that's for you guys. Like you would have to sing that bit. Um, and Benny wants what Benny gets broken hearts and cigarettes. Um, and then you've got like someone like it was me going, pretending to smoke a cigarette going, and it's all kind of very like sensual. There's lots of kind of ASMR. There's lots of stuff going on if you listen closely. Um, and yeah, it's, it's basically kind of poems about different blokes and it all kind of climaxes to a Matthew and, 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 a, and a popping of a bottle. 
and and it's it's just a bit of fun and it is humorous and it was very much thanks to the people that I was writing it with Shun and Danny we'd kind of created these like naughty siblings with each other where we giggle when we'd be writing songs like this or what's your pleasure I'm just thinking can we say push press more together here's your here together what's your pleasure like can we say this with a straight face well we can do it in a very monotonous like vocal and then I don't know it kind of allows it to not feel like desperate or silly um but yeah it's it's my 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 the trio of us just us getting into these worlds and seeing how far we can push it but also making it feel quite theatrical and tongue-in-cheek not taking itself too seriously but like there being the like right amount of drama I think I probably watched a lot of lip syncs at that point on like drag race and like that was probably in my mind too um it's it's a, a very character driven performance-led song and it's fun and irreverent I think yeah that's a really great description of what it is and I have like a lot of offshoot questions from what you've just said but I, I do want to ask you about performance because you said you said that it's performance led and it, and it feels like these are all performance led and I um, there's like a real physicality to the songs you know I I um, was fortunate enough to see you tour What's Your Pleasure on at Primavera Sound and it was like a best show of the festival contender for sure and that's saying something considering the depth of that lineup. You really nailed that show and I just wanted to ask you how your relationship to performance has changed you know, since lockdown and these new songs, because the way that you're, that crowds react, it, it must be very different to the way that they used to, you know, because when you play Wildest Moments, for example, during that show, a lot of your fans will be going into a kind of yearning and cathartic and emotionally charged place. That's, or they may not even know it. <laughs> or they might not know it. But I mean, I think that that kind of song is personal to each person. And then you go straight into Mirage from that song and you're back into this kind of Jesse Ware fantasy world again. And that's so present and in the moment. And like, what are your thoughts on that dynamic? Or do you see it totally differently? Like I, I cause when you're playing live, you're really, you're now you're creating like a party space, like a present, a presentness about it. it and was, yeah, sorry. sorry. No, no, that's, go ahead. I think there's enough in there for you to answer. <laughs> I, my musical director and I, William and I, we would, he's known me since the Wildest Moments days. We went on tour. He was a drummer for Mickey Echo when we were doing a, a tour in America together. Like we've known each other for years. And so it felt so special to make the show with him because he understood my roots of kind of my first live experiences because he'd seen me perform every night for six weeks. And <clears throat> he respected those songs. He didn't want to throw them away. Like there is an important place for a song like Wildest Moments or Say You Love Me that will always remain important in my show. And it is that kind of release for a lot of people that is a different kind of release than when you're having a mad dance with somebody to save a kiss. Um, and I'm so glad that you were at the Primavera Barcelona one. That was a defining, a career defining moment for me. Um, it was a huge surprise. I mean, I love that. I love that festival so much. Um, I've been as a punter, I've played it once before on the pitchfork stage years and years ago. And to be at that, 
there was like a mad energy when I was playing and I felt it and I appreciated it. And I get goosebumps even thinking about it now. Like it, 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 it really felt like a turning point for me as an artist to feel like, okay, people understood what I was trying to do. They've also understood the assignment of, I need you to dance right now. And I need you to let yourself go. And I need you to feel everything. And I need you to kiss that stranger next to you. And it was beautiful. And it's what I envisaged for what's your pleasure. But like, that was in my dreams, you know, um, that was passion. And that kind of show has dictated the way that I approached writing this record. Although I'd already started writing the record by that point, the live focus is so important for me because it's where the songs come alive in a different way and they're enjoyed together. And I get to communicate with my crowd. And so songs like Shake the Bottle, how I, I'm depending on the crowd to be shouting those bits. I need that, like, <clears throat> because that's, that's, that's what they were made for. Um, they were made for an audience to enjoy live. So of course, as well as people enjoying it in their homes and stuff like that, but like these last two records, they have a total ambition for huge performance moments and togetherness and joy and laughter and tears and all the kind of emotions. And But it's a different kind of way of performing than I've ever allowed myself to do or expected myself to do like I, I really feel like a pop star now do you know what I mean I feel like an artist that's doing it and doing all the bells and whistles but like doing it with such focus um and that's why I think people are buying into it because like they believe it and I I believe it for sure and and also you just seemed like you were having an amazing time as well I think that's really communicated when you're playing live, you you can sense that you love your songs and and that you love playing them, um, which I think is just like really lovely to see. And your dancers are awesome, and you know they're amazing. And oh, sorry, and, and before and also that one, you know, it was not how I wanted to have to play Primavera, but we couldn't have my drummer or my guitarist, so we actually didn't have one instrument on stage which, yeah, some people gave me stick for. And I was like, fuck off. That was one of the greatest shows of my life. So just give it, we, we gave everything on that stage, us five, my two dancers and my two singers. And the reason I couldn't have my guitarist and my drummer was because we had a show in Manchester and we weren't going to be able to get the gear there in time. So it was like the frustration, but also What's Your Pleasure was able to be a club record. like, in, And so therefore, I don't think people were focusing on the players on stage they were focusing about us as a team of people creating a moment and a party for everyone else and i do really appreciate that people you know it's really expensive touring and it's really hard to tour and sometimes it's impossible to be able to have everybody that you want on stage um but i think that is credit to my choreographer and my musical director and us as people performers on stage that we managed to hold everyone's attention i mean yeah everyone was on drugs and that was fine by me um but it was late in the night, they'd seen a lot of music. It was, you know, they, they could have been anywhere else, but they stayed with us and we appreciated that. It was a very memorable show for me and I'm very grateful that I got to see it. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but um, I wanted to ask you about, if you, if you could kind of set the scene a little bit for how these songs come together, because 
they are so maximalist and like the production is so lush and the drums are so good and the strings and the horns but there is kind of like at, at the same time there's that sense that the performance brings it into a cohesive room and like how are you writing and recording these songs and like how do you get into the that kind of headspace with your producers i mean are you doing it remotely initially or are you just going into studio with some lyrics written uh, well a lot of this record was written over <clears throat> the internet over zoom which was not idea of heaven at all it was just the way it was with the time that we were writing um so i'd be with james in hackney and my writers um my co-writers would be in los angeles so that was annoying um and then they came over and then they got covid when they came over so then we were back on fucking zoom but just not with eight hours difference um <clears throat> but the way that it works with me and james is i create a big playlist like a dance party playlist and i go these are the worlds that i want to live in and he goes oh my god yeah cool and then we kind of create and sometimes he'll create like an instrumental off the back of my references off off the back of a mood that i've said i really want this feeling what about this but like what about remember where you are but like the tempo and if we were referencing like another star and he's like yeah okay great and that was the beginning of begin again um <clears throat> and then the vocals and melodies come second after i found the groove after i found something that i want to dance to that i want to feel like i can make a a dance song to um and that's kind of how I work the best, I think. Um, it's never really been, I think there's once that I've ever brought in lyrics before the song's made. It's not kind of how I work. And I know lots of brilliant people do work with like their lyrics first, but I feel like I'm better when the groove and the um, dictates it. And then I, I find my way to sit within that. So that's why I treat it like dance music, I think. And that's, my freedom are you writing in the mornings you know is it is it like late at night you got to get into the the headspace so, of the party so it, with with begin again and that feels good and some other songs that didn't make the record they were written into the night because of the time difference but i wouldn't necessarily like that i'm really hence why the lyric i'm so nine to five i love being within like a working day however unromantic that is yeah i can light some incense sure to make it a bit more vibey i don't know we can put the lights down but i like it because i have a life outside of music and i have three small children that i need to be present for even if i'm not able to be dropping them off at school i want to be able to be there at bedtime so and my husband's really cool and so are my children about it that like sometimes mummy's work goes on a bit long but I'm very, I try and be very strict about the parameters of my working day. Um, and of course, when you're working with your friends that are in LA and you can't get to each other, that's when things change. So I, we'd be starting sessions at four o'clock in the afternoon um, and going till 12, which was not my idea of fun. Um, especially when you're getting up at like six with kids the next day, it's like, yeah. But equally, it was an in, in, in exciting kind of experiment and Begin Again was made in that and I'm so proud of that song, so maybe I should work later into the evening. Um, but yeah, I think the people that I work with also have families and, and they don't want to be working really late. I think we've all done those sessions and 
and I don't feel like I need to do them anymore. I don't know. It feels quite nice to think of it as like your job. Go and do your job for the day. See what happens. I always remember like Nick Cave talking about like putting his suit on and going up to his office, which was the attic. But he like he put a suit on every day. And I really loved that idea. I don't put a suit on, but I think of it as like me going to the office. That's a great little anecdote, the Nick Cave one. Okay, so uh, since you're on the Space Between the Notes podcast, the final question is always the same. It's always, it's a multiple choice question. So apart from music, what is the most fun thing? Is it A, sports, B, books, C, food, D, films, E, extreme sports, F, traveling, G, gaming, or H, other. Who the fuck said gaming? I think Wednesday. You know the band Wednesday? I've heard of them. They're like a... They're about to blow up. They're kind of like a grungy uh, indie rock, bedroom rock Maybe band. I should game more then. I don't know. Um, I'm not saying gaming, but respect to them. Maybe I should. I did like The Last of Us on the telly. Mine would be eating, food, food and traveling. That was the best. That's the greatest thing. I mean, I know, I, I don't know. I'm enjoying theater at the moment, but yeah, I don't remember which, which alphabet it was, but food, food, food is the greatest gift of all. It can lift my mood in a second. And I love it, especially when it's in a foreign country. Are you cooking a lot or are you eating out? Um, I'm cooking, I'm cooking a lot and I'm eating out and, um, my husband's a really great guinea pig and he loves it when I cook. Um, and it's my way of kind of turning off. I it sounds really naff, but like I did a photo shoot on Saturday in the morning. We had a dinner party on Saturday night. I was absolutely dreading doing the dinner party because it was just like, I was like, Oh my God, I've got to work the next day too. But my husband took the kids out. And I listened to Six Music, Giles Peterson, and I made my food. And I have never had a more relaxing, gorgeous Saturday afternoon, like music and cooking and then eating it. I love it. And then people need to just not stay till 12 o'clock because I'm tired. Okay. Thanks so much, Jesse. Thanks. It was lovely to meet you. Lots of love. Bye. Okay. Have a great day. Take care. That was me speaking with Jesse Weir. You've been listening to The Space Between the Notes, a bedroom disco podcast. I'm Sam Walsh, your host. Thanks for listening. podcast is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Sam Walsh, with music from Greg Dixon. Thanks to anyone who listened.